As everybody has already said, it's a great Thanksgiving week, and I hope you have enjoyed everyone, and, but I, and I also hope you just took the time to give God some thanks. Um, I, I want to ask you to pray about something right now. I, I, I don't try to um, give all the prayer requests that come in during the week up here on Sunday morning, but uh, uh, there's always the danger you miss, miss somebody or miss something, and, and so we don't do that usually, but uh, I got a text, everybody, most of them, not everybody, many of you know Robin Dayon, uh, Jim and Robin were here in the church for quite some time, and they live down in uh, New Bedford now, and um, I just got a text from her yesterday, and her mom is trapped in Africa, her mother is visiting there, and they're not letting Americans travel back to the United States because of the, the uh, COVID variant, I guess, that's popped up in Africa. So um, she asked us to pray as a congregation, so I told her we would. So let's just take a minute right now and pray for Robin's mom that she will uh, find a way to get back home. Father, in Jesus' name, we just pray for Robin and Jim as they deal with this situation, and we pray, God, that you'll open a door for Robin's mom to travel back to the United States. And we pray for the continent of Africa and these countries that are directly involved, God, that you will have mercy and grace on them. And we pray you will give the leaders and politicians there and around the world the heart and the wisdom to do the right thing. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, one more thing, uh, just a little take care of a little, uh, important business, is communion. We're, we're, we're working on bringing communion back. So uh, that's really important. It's, it's, it's one of the most important sacraments of the church is to receive communion. And uh, I apologize that I've been a little slow in getting it going again. Uh, after, you know, during COVID, we, we were many weeks, we'd put the elements in a bag and you could take communion on your own. But we want to get communion back and not sure just exactly how we're going to do it. We got some ideas. So just be patient. In the next couple of weeks, we hope to bring communion back and maybe we'll bring it back in one form. And then eventually, uh, I'd like to see us have our prayer partners again. And you'd be able to come forward for prayer the way you did before, uh, before COVID, <laughs> BC. <laughs> well, I've enjoyed this series a lot. I hope you have enjoyed it. I've enjoyed preaching this series called Know, know Thyself. And, um, you know, as a kid growing up in uh, an evangelical Christian church, Pentecostal, you've heard me talk about a lot, we would always have these people come, up, come by the church and give their testimonies. And, uh, and it was always the same thing. They were really horrible people until they got saved. I mean, they, everything from all kinds of addictions to murdering people. I mean, everything. They were, so uh, kind of growing up in that, I never really wanted to be an awful person like that. Uh, I didn't know if there was really a place for me in the kingdom of God. It seemed like to me you had to be a really awful person and have a really great testimony. And I, you know, I wandered out in the depths of sin and degradation until I was six. And um, I actually got into a little crime. I stole two balloons one day uh, from F.W. Woolworths, one for myself and one to give to my brother. So uh, it was, I, w I was pretty bad shape until <laughs> Jesus saved me. But, you know, I think, I think we've gotten it wrong. We've gotten it wrong. And... I won't get into the theological stuff, why I think we've gotten it wrong. But I was, got to thinking about it. So I, I, wanted to, I wanted to end this sermon 
series on a really positive note because we talked a lot about getting to know the parts of yourself that maybe aren't so great. And we all have parts of ourselves that aren't really so great. And we talked about getting to know that and becoming self-aware of that. But I just ran into a few, several passages of Scripture that let me know that there's something really good in you. And there's something really good in me. And there's something really outstanding in you and something really, some things really outstanding in me that God put into me even before I was a Christian. Even before I accepted Christ. God put something good in me. The Bible says Christ is the light that lighteth every man that comes in the world. Now, we don't, I'm not a universalist, so don't get worried that I'm, I'm a universalist. That every, uh, you know, the, the brotherhood of man, the fatherhood of God, and everybody's going to just end up in one happy place. Uh, I, I wish that's how it was, but I, I don't see that in the scripture. But I, I ran into one verse I want to point out to you. is Matthew 5.16. Let your light... Now, these people couldn't have been what we call saved or Christians because Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. But yet Jesus looked at them and said, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Did you know, O human, that you have a light that's meant to shine and make the world more tolerable? Did you know you have good deeds within you ready to be released? And ready to be used and ready to manifest. Uh, you know, you can be like the iconic SNL character, Stuart Smalley. Remember him? I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. <laughs> you know? and, but I always got the feeling with him, and you see it, especially in that skit with him and Michael, Michael Jordan. You see that he really didn't believe it. He was trying to convince himself. But how about if we forget the positive affirmation? Not, don't forget them. They're good. The positive affirmations are good. But what if you listen to God and listen to his affirmation of you? And don't just try to convince yourself that you're, that you're a good person. Yes, it's true. You have a sin nature. You have a dark side where monsters lurk. But as we'll see, you have a light that you can shine or you can hide. Within you is the power to curse or bless I fear that many Christians, having been informed of our fallen nature and original sin that uh, St. Augustine first came up with that idea, uh, I fear that we, some of us are content just to live in a posture of repentance all the time, just a posture of repentance. Jesus didn't just want his audience to avoid sinning. He wanted them to, he wanted them to release their righteousness. Jesus said, what you do well... Do it well, and it will bring honor to the Father in heaven. You have the power, he, he said, to make difficult situations easier and a dark world much brighter. So Socrates' famous quote, Know thyself, is not only about getting acquainted with your darkness and the monsters that lurk within you and the dysfunction, but it also means discovering and displaying your goodness and your brilliance. Look at verse 15 and 16. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on, on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So this sermon today and this message I want to give you right now is partly about serving others, but I feel, I feel you need to know 
What is your best serve? And you need to discover your best serve and use it. I'm calling, the knowing your best, I'm calling this message knowing your best self. And here are the keys to knowing your best self and going in, in that brilliant light of your best self. And I, I, I know this is not making a lot of sense yet, but hang, hang with me. Because somebody's going, why do I need to be saved then? Why do I need Jesus then? If I'm just a good person without Jesus, what do I need Jesus for? Well, I hope I can help you understand that Jesus didn't just show up to make bad people good. Jesus showed up for a very different purpose, and I hope I can explain that to you this morning. First of all, here's what I want you to do. I want you to conduct a thorough inventory of your righteous and compassionate desires. I believe when God creates a human being, the Bible says we are created in His image. So if I am created in his image, that means I am created with good and righteous desires. I have a dark side. I have desires that are selfish. I have desires that are corrupt. I've been corrupted by sin. I have, I have a tendency to start out with a good motive and end up with a bad motive. I had a tendency to want to manipulate people to serve my, serve my desires. I do have that tendency, but that's not all that there is to me, you know, what are your strongest, think about it, now think with me, I want you to work this morning. What are your strongest holy and unselfish desires? I bet a lot of you, when you see a homeless person, you want to help them. I, I bet a lot of you, when you see someone who has some sort of special needs in their life, and you can discern that, you have a heart that you care for them, and you feel compassion for them. I, I I, I, bet, I bet something about you when you know that people are hungry, you want, to, you want to take them food and you want to give them something, you want to help them. That didn't just happen after you prayed the sinner's prayer, right? But there's something within you. In fact, uh, the, the, the research on this is crystal clear, that helping other people triggers the brain's pleasure centers and releases endorphins, which is the body's natural morphine. It's the body's natural painkiller. They call it the helper's high. Uh, neuroscience also demonstrates that giving and volunteering releases all these other great chemicals like oxytocin and uh, serotonin and dopamine. They get released, these hormones that affect your mood and put you in a better mood and they block the bad, the bad chemical like cortisol that does all kinds of bad things to you. Neuroscience has demonstrated that giving is a pathway for creating more personal joy. Now you are wired like that. That is how God wired you. And I want to announce it to you this morning that you're wired to be wonderful. Go to, look at your neighbor and say you're wired to be wonderful. All holiness and obedience is an act of giving and caring for others. You know that? All holiness and obedience. And sometimes the church is just taught, you better obey God. It's like Santa Claus. You know, you better watch out. You better not cry. You better watch out. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. <laughs> Jesus Christ is coming to town. You better watch what you do. And that's kind of the way we, we preach this thing. But, but no, no, that's, that's wrong. Holiness and obedience is all about love. Seven of the Ten Commandments. Seven of the Ten Commandments are directly related to loving other people. If you love your neighbor, you don't want to lust after his wife. 
If you love someone, you don't want to steal from them. If you love from them, you don't want to covet what they have. You're delighted that they have it. We've made the Ten Commandments just this awful, brutal thing when it's all about love. It's all about loving people. In fact, Jesus said you don't even have to memorize the Ten Commandments. Just love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your soul, and your neighbor as yourself, and you're all set. Somebody said, love God and do as you please. <laughs> love your neighbor and do whatever you want, because you will treat your neighbor well if you love them. God has wired us to be happiest when we're holiest. Do you know any badly, awfully behaving people that are really happy? Well, yeah, you know this one guy, right? Yeah, probably some psychopath. <laughs> you know some sociopath that's just, you know, knocking, whacking people and just seems really happy about it, you know? I'm talking about normal people, people who haven't warped themselves, people who haven't given, given themselves totally over to Satan. Psalms 139, 14, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. Has anybody looked, anybody looked in the mirror lately and say, thank you, Lord, your workmanship is marvelous. No wonder the moment the prodigal son decided to go back and live as a servant in his father's house, the Bible says he came to his senses. St. Augustine, the same guy that taught us about original sin, said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until I rest in you. Psalm 37, 4, wouldn't be in the Bible if all your desires were selfish and evil. Delight yourself in the Lord, it says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. God would never dare say that if all your desires were crappy and awful. Psalms 24 wouldn't be in there either if, if it wasn't true that you have desires that are good. May God grant you your heart's desires, he said, and make all your plans come to pass. Now, God wouldn't dare do that to somebody whose only plans were destruction and evil and terribleness. That famous thinker Bugs Bunny said, when I catch people staring at me, I assume they're taking notes on how to be awesome. Now, I'm not saying you need to quit your job tomorrow and start doing that wonderful altruistic ministry you're thinking about. Going into full-time ministry should only happen when the leaders of your church lay hands on you and send you out. All I'm saying is that while your humanity does mean at some point in your life you have to deal with the burden of sin, you are a sinner. But since God created you in his image, you also have the beautiful burden of beauty and goodness. The psalmist said, I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. The Apostle Paul said, In my inner being I delight in God's law. Well, I don't deny that many people cross the line of faith because they feel guilty over their sinfulness. So don't, don't, don't minimize that. Some, some of you will not come to Christ until you encounter the guilt over the things you have done. I know many people come, but I suspect that even more come, people come to faith because they want to be intimately connected to the source of their goodness. They want to know, what is it that makes me want to do good? What is it that want, want, makes me want to help my neighbor? What is it that makes me want to care about the, the poor of the world? What is it that makes that happen? I heard a wonderful story the other day about a guy who went to a lecture, a young, young man, went to a lecture uh, 
uh, what we call apologetics. Apologetics is when someone defends the faith and they try to prove to you that there is a God. And I love apologetics. It's a great, it's a great theological science, philosophical science. But the young man went to this lecture and he went up to the lecture after the meeting and he said, that's a bunch of, that's a bunch of garbage. I don't believe a thing you said. And the lecturer was very wise. He said, I tell you what you do. I want you to, for the next week, I want you to treat every person you meet as though they are Jesus. I would have never thought of that, but this guy thought of it. So he said, okay, I'll do that. He goes home. His mother's doing the dishes. He looks at her and said, now, if she were Jesus, I would help her with the dishes. And he starts helping her with the dishes. His father comes home from work, and normally he wouldn't have anything to do with him coming home from work, but he meets him at the door and says, how was your day, Dad? Because he figured if Jesus was coming home from work, that's what I would do. Later dinner, they had hamburgers that night, and there was one left. One hamburger left, and he looked at his brother, and the thought occurred to him, what would I say to him if he were Jesus? And he looked at his brother and said, there's, a, there's one hamburger left. I think you should have it. You know what happened? After a week, he became a Christian. Because he knew. See, there was something in him. There was something in him that loved goodness and loved love, and loved being compassionate. You don't like being a jerk. And some of you are. <laughs> but you don't like it. You don't like the consequences of being a jerk. The consequences are terrible. There's nothing about it you like. I'm telling you, God made you to be happy. I know that becomes a cult in the Christian life, and I know that some people it's just be happy and all that. It becomes weird and stuff like that. But listen, when we get to heaven, the roads are, in heaven aren't going to be made out of gravel. They're going to be made out of gold. God must like his creatures enjoying the goodness of the world if he would make gold streets instead of gravel streets. Paul said... When I would do good, evil is present with me. That's an interesting statement, isn't it? So, um, oh, I, I left out something. Uh, something I wanted to share. Uh, that's really important to this point, and I think I need to backtrack and, and share it with you. Uh, a group of scientists from Harvard and Yale. A few years ago, did this research to see if our first inclination was to be co compassionate and cooperative or to be selfish and uncooperative. And you know what they discovered? They discovered that human beings, and they did, they, they, they did a test with like 830 people. So this was not a small test that they did. They found that people's natural first response was to be cooperative and unselfish, not to be selfish. It was, it was, it was if people stopped and thought about what they were doing, that they would go ahead, they would be selfish. But if they acted on their first impulse, they would be unselfish. And everybody in this room knows that feeling. You know how that works. You're sitting in church, and we take up an offering, and your first thought is, I should give very generously. And if you won't think about it, you'll go ahead and do it. If, if you'll just go ahead and go with what God put in your heart, 
you will go ahead and give the great offering. The, 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 your first impulse is to see someone who's hungry, is to feed them. Your first impulse is to see someone who's lonely, is to go over and befriend them. But what happens to you, see, Paul said it this way. Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, I want to do good, but when I would, when I would do good, I find that evil is present within me. I find that evil is present in me. See, you are actually, God made you a good person, but sin is an imposter that comes in to, to keep you from doing that good thing that, you, that your first impulse. See, your first impulse, your first impulse when someone wrongs you is, I should forgive them. That's your first impulse. You know that's true. You know that's true. One of the first thoughts you will think is, I know the right thing to do would be to forgive them. But you, you think about it too long. And you think about it, and then you start mulling over, what, what did they really do? I mean, that was really terrible what they did. And what if I forgive them and they do it again? It's that second conversation that gets you in trouble. It's that second conversation that takes you away from God. And that, my friend, is what I believe the sin nature that Christ came to save you from. That is the sin nature. It's the part of you that overthinks everything. And not the part of you that just goes with what God is speaking to you, what God is showing to you. It can be marvelous. Uh, in fact, Jesus said it this way. And we, why do we miss so simple stuff that Jesus said? He said, don't let your left hand know what your, don't, don't, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. What did he mean by that? He meant that when you have a holy impulse and a righteous impulse and a benevolent, compassionate impulse, don't think about it. Just do it. Don't, don't, don't talk to yourself about that big gift that you want to give and that, big, and that great thing you want to do. And you will find yourself being led by the Spirit of God instead of self. It's the self that Jesus came to save. <clears throat> and we'll get into that in just a minute. Uh, uh, Paul said, when I would do good, evil is present with me. And so he said, I have this impulse to do good, but then evil jumps in there. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Is this making any sense, Joe? You, 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 your pastor gets up and says, we need volunteers in children's church. We need volunteers in nursery. And your first thought is, I should, I should sign up for that. But then you get in your car and you start thinking about it. Man, I'm going to have to go to both services. I'm, I'm going to miss a kickoff once in a while. <laughs> and, and I don't even like babies. I'm not thinking about it. <laughs> Don't stop talking to yourself so much. Listen to God. And okay, let's move on. Understand, receive, and exalt Jesus as the friend of your best self and the deliverer from your worst self. Ephesians 2, 2, 1 and 3 says, For as you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world, and of the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires. See, you, you do have a dark side, and you do have a part of you that will take you into the ditch. That scripture is very clear. In, uh, that there, the, what's, what's very clear is there are two of you. There are two of you. Turn to your neighbor and say, there are actually two of you. <laughs> Romans 7, 21, so I find this law at work, although I want to do good. Evil is right there with me. For my, in my inner being, I delight in God's law. 
But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So here's how it works. You have a best self who wants to do what is holy, righteous, unselfish. But then you have an imposter self who works constantly to pull you away from what is holy and righteous and unselfish and good. But when you receive Jesus as your Savior, He breaks the stalemate between your best self and your imposter self because He casts the deciding vote for your best self. And what you really want out of life is what you really what you really want out of life is holiness and beauty instead of all the chaos that your imposter self will constantly create. What does the idea of Christ as their Savior really mean? It means the wonderful person that God created you to be is being held hostage by an imposter that pretends to be you. But it's really Satan. And it pretends to be you. It speaks in your voice. It even robs you. It uses your emotions and your feelings. And Christ comes in to to deliver you from that imposter that will constantly complicate your life and take everybody down with you. You you. You will have a wonderful, perfectly good family gathering. And everything is going great. And you're thinking, this is fun and this is awesome. Then suddenly some stupid idea will come to you to bring up something that's going to create chaos. And you do it. You go for it. You step in it. But Jesus comes to stop you from stepping in it. He came to give you life. The Bible says, and this is a cool verse. I love this verse. James chapter 4, verse 5. God is passionate that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. So God comes and he puts the devil at an unfair advantage. God puts his, if you will, if you will pray a prayer with me in a little while, God will come and put his Holy Spirit within you and you will have a friend in Jesus who will defeat the bad self. And we'll put the bad self on the cross where it belongs and put the devil back in hell where he belongs and release you to be the incredible, awesome, wonderful, loving, kind, free, not addicted individual that you were created to be. John Piper illustrates it this way. This is John talking, not me. It's my anniversary. I just wanted... To, to make sure you understood, so you wouldn't think I have, I have a, another wife or a mistress. He said, it's my anniversary. I say to Noel, I'm going to take you out tonight because it's our 47th anniversary. And spending the night with you would make me really happy. No wife has ever said, uh, n- nor would Noel ever say, you are so selfish. All you think about is yourself. No wife ever complains that it is selfish. Why? Because I pursue my full satisfaction in my wife. She is honored. So it is with God. If we are drawn to God because we want to spend time with God, if God is our treasure and our satisfaction, God is honored. The truth is God is most glorified in us. Christ is most magnified in us when we are most satisfied with him. I propose that we don't need to accept Jesus as our Savior because we're terrible people, but because we are good people who have all our goodness sabotaged by a bully named sin, who constantly corrupts the best efforts, and Christ is the warrior who comes to set us free. If all else fails, the quest to know your best self, 
I'm going to give you one more thing to do this morning. If you, if you just can't, you think, I just can't feel any impulses that are holy and righteous today. I, I, I've, I've been in the gutter too long. <laughs> uh, I, would, I would give you one more exercise. Look at everyone around you and ask, how can I make their burdens lighter and their life better? See, simply asking, see, most of us ask ourselves the wrong question. We ask ourselves, how can I be happy? Stop asking yourself how you can be happy, because you'll never figure that out. You'll get happy, you know, you buy that new gadget, and you're happy with it until it either breaks or the better gadget comes out in six months. And so you feel like you're a schmuck because you don't have the great gadget anymore. So forget about asking, how can I be happy? Say, how can I make someone else's burden lighter? And you will start discovering, like the guy who went home and started treating everybody like they were Jesus, he discovered, he didn't just discover Jesus, he discovered himself. He discovered there was a part of him that really liked being like Jesus. He discovered there's a part of him that really liked taking care of other people instead of himself. He discovered there was a part of him that really, really flourished when he was saying to himself, how can I make another person's world better and brighter? I'm telling you, and I get, I I, I don't get to be right in the middle of everything Compassion New England's doing. I, I wish I could. They're just having too much fun. I'm telling you. When, when, and, and I don't say this, I don't say this to exalt a person above measure, but uh, all this, see, how many CNE staff is here this morning? Stand up if you work in Compassionate England. Sherry in the room? Okay. I mean, to be a part of what you're, right now, you can, you can sit down. Right now, I, and, and I haven't heard the latest report. Uh, but th- right now, there's a little baby in the hospital, Boston Children's, flown here from Washington State. I, th- I think he had open heart surgery, some serious heart problems. And, and when I start thinking about the fact that we get to provide housing for that couple so they can be close to their little baby, and they don't have to spend four or 500 bucks a night to stay in Boston, you think that's not fun? You think that's not awesome? You think that's just not the most terrific thing you could ever be doing with your life? And you get to be a part of that? As a part of this church, you get to be a part of that? Who would, what else would you want to do with your life? What else would you want to do with your life? You just want to go be rich and miserable? Why, who would want to go be rich and miserable? I guess, I didn't get a loud amen, so maybe that's what you would prefer. I don't know. Let's wrap this up. I, I, I'm just kidding you. See, l- let me say one thing about this. God doesn't give you relationships to make you happy. God gives you relationships to make you conscious. I said, God doesn't give you relationships to make you happy. Now, relationships can make you happy, so I'll give you that caveat. But God doesn't give you people to make you happy. God gives you people to make you conscious. Let me say it a different way. You're looking at me like a calf in a new gate. God gives you people to make you self-aware. God gives you people to wake you up to who you are. And then you can, you can start making other people happy. 
And there's just this cool little thing that given to others, and it will be given to you. You can't. You, you, you start getting, you start actually cooperating with the laws of God. And the laws of God, so it's like a boomerang. The blessings keep coming back, and it's called giving living, and it's an incredible way to live. And the more you do it, the more you're going to like it. Because God made you, God made you to be wonderful. Remember what we said, God wired you to be wonderful. Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, you value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I believe the Lord Jesus is speaking to some hearts right now. And you need to discover your friend, Jesus. You probably remember the little words, the little song, Randy Newman saying, you're going to see it's your destiny, you've got a friend in me. And that friend that, that's here for you today is named Jesus. And maybe you've never met him before. But I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And I want to ask you, some of you will pray this prayer, hopefully for the first time. And that prayer is to receive this friend Jesus into your soul. And, um, and uh, you see, the, the, the Jewish understanding, the Jewish understanding of salvation was a little different than modern evangelicals. I'm not saying we're wrong, because they had stuff they didn't understand. But their understanding of salvation wasn't the personal savior thing that we understand as evangelical Christians. Their, their idea of salvation was that Jesus would come and they would get to live under the rule of his kingdom. He would be the king and they would live under his rule. And his rule would set them free. His rule would protect them from their adversaries. His rule would make their conditions of their life much, much better. Well, that's not an entirely bad way of looking at it. That's not an entirely bad way of looking at it, and maybe you should look at it that way. I, Pastor Phil, I'm ready to invite Jesus to become the king of my life. And I'm going to live in his realm, and he's going to show me how to be a better self. And I'm going to follow him. And, and, and the Bible says we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his, called according to his purpose for whom he did for no. He did predestine that we should be conformed to the image of Christ. That's why you need Jesus. You need Jesus because you will only ever realize your full potential as a human being. I believe. This is my belief. You will only fully realize your potential as a human being if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray a prayer, and you can pray it out loud if you want to, or you can just pray it silently in your heart. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for making me someone with goodness. I thank you for creating me with someone who has desires that are holy and good and compassionate and unselfish. I ask your forgiveness for those times when I have suppressed the goodness in me and I've let the evil or the bad or the selfish take over. And I realize I need help. I need, I, need a, I need to serve a king who loves me and a king who cares about me and a king who will empower me and a king who will help me fight my battles. So I receive Jesus right now. 
as my personal Savior and Lord. And I exalt Jesus as the King of the kingdom that will never end. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, Dad. That What a, an incredible message to bring us into the holiday season, and I think it, it is so, so, so true. And you, you see, um, there's so many people these days that struggle um, struggle with to be have joy struggle to feel that they're living you know the the common phrase their best life and i would argue that there are of course very serious legitimate mental health issues and all sorts of things but a lot of people the key is to honor the actual goodness that god put inside of them which is always to lighten someone else's burden and to to take that step of faith and not think. And, I, oh, you know, I thought to go knock on my neighbor's door and introduce myself, do it. I thought to go, you know, make a meal for that friend that I know is sick, do it. And when, when we start to have the boldness and the joy and excitement to just pull the trigger on those urges and desires, you, it is, when, we all know when we do it that we go, why don't I always do this? Right? Am I right? How many of you have had that experience? That you did something, you, you went and you gave an encouraging word, you gave the money, you gave in the offering, you signed up for something, and then you go, what's wrong with me? This is clearly who I was made to be. This is clearly how I was made to live. So let's, let's hold each other accountable, too, to those types of things. If someone mentions something to you, hold them accountable to do it because it's for our best. Amen? 